Hello and welcome to episode number 29 of Earth Repair Radio. This is all designed to collapse. This is a, a bloom and burst economy. This is a bloom and burst civilization. And I've had food storage for my entire marriage. Sprouts. Get the seeding jar. Get the seeding tray. Grow some sprouts. So I'll tell you what I'm planting. Um, turnips, because they turn up. Um, radishes, they're eat-alls. And if you're in a warmer climate, I would be hopping on things like cowpeas because you can eat the greens on those. There are people who are really worried about their children have unstructured time that are very used to having other people manage that. And then there are the people that are like, oh, no, I'm just going to let them watch Disney Plus for the next month. Hello, I'm your host, Andrew Millison. And today our guest is Matt Powers. Matt is a permaculture educator and author who has a whole host of online materials, many focused on curriculum for K-12 students. You can find Matt's many courses and resources offered at his website, thepermaculturestudent.com. Today, we talk about how to make yourself food resilient in the face of the coronavirus pandemic and how permaculture provides a roadmap for the actions that you can take now in your own homes and gardens to weather this storm. We also discuss homeschooling and childhood education from the permaculture perspective, a topic which many are delving into with current and future quarantines and lockdowns throughout the planet. As many of you know, I also have a whole host of free permaculture content on the internet, as well as paid courses that are offered through my work as an instructor at Oregon State University, including our online permaculture design certificate course that begins on March 30th, and our permaculture food forest course that begins that day as well. Please see the show notes for links to Matt's courses and content, as well as the whole suite of online courses offered through my programs at OSU and the free content available. I hope you're all doing okay out there, and I know there's a lot of uncertainty, fear, and suffering. I really feel for all the people who are sick and who are losing loved ones. This pandemic is showing us clearly that we are an interconnected planet, and we're all in this together as a species and as a living earth. So stay strong and keep the faith, my friends. Let's not be consumed and paralyzed by fear. Let's use this crisis as an opportunity to make this world a better place. Please enjoy the interview with Matt Powers. Good morning. Hey. How, how are you doing? <laughs> Good morning. I'm doing amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite an interesting time that we live in, isn't it? Whew. You know, it's like Dickensian, right? The best of times, the worst of times. Mm-hmm. We're living it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm actually feeling really good. I, I'm feeling internally, I'm feeling like this is actually a good thing. Now, I've got to say that people are not getting sick around me. And so it's easy to have that perspective right now. But uh, I'm feeling like our industrial civilization is actually slowing down for a minute. You know, the skies have cleared over uh, Shanghai. Uh, there's dolphins swimming in the canals in Venice. Like, things are actually changing right now on the planet. It's kind of blowing my mind. And so uh, 
I'm really happy to talk to you today because I feel like permaculture has a ton to offer this situation. You might say permaculture is the perfect medicine, the perfect remedy for this situation here uh, and how for how people can focus their attention, their energy, their minds, their hearts right now while they're you know, stuck at home. So, uh, so tell me, Matt, you know, what, how do you see permaculture as being a valuable piece right now, uh, in this really unique and crazy situation that we've found ourselves in, not just as a society, but like as a planet, what can permaculture do for us? Yeah, let's start on the micro and let's move to the macro because you touched upon some of these macro changes that are happening right now. Um, For many of us, permaculture may seem like it's a gardening technique or a homesteading technique, but for, for many other people, and me included, and maybe you as well, have seen it as the only logical thing to do in the face of an insane world that is built upon degradation and has a history of collapse and a surefire dead-end path towards another epic global-scale level of collapse. So it's a nonspecific preparation perspective. And I've had food storage for my entire marriage. We, um, we started gardening and within the first season or two, I, I think it was the first season because I remember, I remember how expensive seeds were, um, I started saving seeds and I've always kept, I even have my first orange giant amaranth seeds that I was looking at yesterday. I still have seeds in the seed pack because I always thought, oh, we want to save these genetics. I want to save this. And it was this perspective of preparation, this perspective of this is all designed to collapse. This is a a bloom and burst economy. This is a bloom and burst civilization. We're thinking short term. We're burning all of our bridges as we're running as fast as we can across them. And that's the perspective that I had going to permaculture. It was this great relief knowing that I, I could do something in the face of this coming and pending, and, it, and, and I, I wasn't thinking specifically a, a virus or a pandemic. I thought there would be something that would interrupt the food chain, something that would disrupt the, the energy or the food. Yeah, I've got to say, yeah, I just want to say that I have imagined so many different scenarios in my life. You know, I mean, I was ready for Y2K. I was ready for like earth changes back in the mid-90s. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I never went through the mental process of imagining what we are having happen right now. That is, it is not a mental, an exercise I never went through. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, it's funny and people who have been with me for the whole journey, and there's a few of them actually who still are around. I was a musician in the beginning and a science fiction writer. And so at NYU, I was a science fiction author and Rachel Ray was, was editing my books, like with me, as I was at NYU. She was a good friend. Of, I was actually playing bass for her husband, who was a boyfriend at the time. And I wrote about someone with NP, New Plague. And I wrote about how they were a contagion and how they spread it. 
rather than got it. And as soon as I heard that these things, that the coronavirus was spreading so aggressively and they couldn't track it, I was like, that's because someone's a carrier. Um, they're not getting it. And so that's why the numbers have been difficult to pinpoint. I think Italy's numbers are probably the best we can go off currently. And as it is, it's, 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 it's chilling. Um, we're, I, I have a big family. Um, my, my, my wife has um, five siblings. I have three siblings. We all have families. Um, and we have a lot of people who are older in our family. Um, a lot of people dealing with health challenges, specifically my, uh, including my wife, who's had cancer over six times. So we, 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 we are really concerned and we are in isolation and have been for a while. And it is, it is a scary time, you know, but we get so much comfort from the fact that we have gardens, we have a seed bank, we have a food storage, we cook food from scratch, we, our kids know the importance of all these things, grew up doing it. So transitioning to being in lockdown and isolation hasn't been hard for us. It's been like a, oh, I feel so much relief that we're prepared. And huh, now, now we're thinking about all the other people in our lives who are, I mean, we're on the higher ground, right? We were watching, now the water's gonna come in. So we're thinking about people uh, who are, are needing that hand to be pulled up. And, and it, it's hard because a lot of us don't know what to do or say. And I think that's why a lot of people are becoming the experts, you know, and preaching what they just heard as if they, it's the thing. And there's a lot of, a, a lot of, a terrible amount of uncertainty um, around, around what's going on. And so I'm not going to like jump into anything specific with the virus or, or like, I mean, we're doing herbal stuff, but we're also doing like supplements that like selenium and, and, and stuff like that. But there's so much research out there. There's so many different things that are hitting people at all different angles. And I'm not a doctor. Um, we've made our choices and we feel good about them. We feel really good um, physically. We're doing lots of things as a family. And it's permaculture, this understanding holistically, building this literacy of micro to macro that gives me that, that kind of stability. And in this kind of pivot power in this moment, really. So I'm able to switch gears and use my biodigester maybe for the methane now, for cooking to save gas. And then I can use my solar panels to generate enough electricity to power certain things. And and so it really gives you all these modalities of understanding and skill frameworks that you can just pull out and apply strategically because you understand things from a principle-based perspective. And that always means you can improvise. It's like being a jazz musician. Oh, let me solo on that. You know what I mean? And it's like the difference between the guy who's like, oh, let me get my recipe out. Oh, but it's not 78 degrees. What am I going to do? You know what I mean? It's like there's actual understanding. And that's what permaculture really gives you is that, that, that ability to respond to these kind of situations going, okay, so if that's true, 
And then you run it through your modalities. You ask your questions. You understand your principles. And because of that, we were able to understand the math, the, the behaviors of viruses, uh, the behaviors of our immune system, um, and also the, how wonderful it is that it's early spring and we all could have a garden. <laughs> Right. Yeah, the timing it's, is like impeccable here. Yeah. Right. Right. And so many of us, not not just just Andrew and I, but so many of us on the internet have resources for you right now to take that garden to the next level, and to get that. Oh, well, that's okay. Feeling about your food, about the next three to six months. Um, because that uncertainty can, can just take years off your life and no one wants that. And I was that busy bee at a job. And when I found permaculture as a, as a high school teacher, I got that piece. Um, and so when this happened, it was like, okay, well, let's batten these things down. But then it became clear. Yeah. And then one thing, uh, someone brought up the other day was if you are in fear and anxiety, then your immune system is actually depressed. So if you're if you're sitting there spending all your time scared, anxious, and freaked out, you actually uh, have more of a chance of getting sick or of having more intense symptoms. So keeping our spirits up, keeping our spirits up is utmost importance. And a lot of the actions, the tools of permaculture, actually going through with our hands and gardening and putting these systems in place it also feeds it feeds the spirit and will raise the immunity as well and the resilience that we have to any disruptions in food supply or you know whatever it is that's coming down the road and we see that exactly mirrored in the macro what you just described with the dow the stock market's crashing it's fear their fear is causing the collapse. Um, and, and that's why people keep saying, well, the virus and fear are the two things that we're battling right now. And so the, the silver lining, though, in all this is that there, if you look into this, we're seeing that this pause in our culture is causing, first of all, the breakdown in so many of the things that have held our the engine of our the momentum of our culture going so the credit markets are about to collapse they say so the the stock market is in this terminal decline they say we're headed for a depression they say but at the, the same time there's this inner momentum that's been building there's this i mean meditation mindfulness these forces in our culture are so prevalent now that we've got um, we've got presidential candidates focused on it. We are we have these elements of coping. I mean permaculture, if you look it up, there's, you know, almost a million of us in the United States that are at least interested in this topic that know it. And so there we we are in place. And and we can respond with, with these solutions. And we also can get through this in a way that's regenerative, like come out on the other side with a regenerative recovery. I mean, we're talking about universal basic income, but we're also talking about the fact that, hey, look, the, the, the second we stop, nature rebounds. 
We see the rivers are running clear. We see the animals are coming back like that. We see that people's health, they're like, oh, a week without the smog and I can breathe easy. There's a, there's a, a, a rebound that comes that we've, we've, we've seen in our own gardens, we've seen in our own health as we've, we, we start eating out of our gardens. Those of us, I have Crohn's, so I feel this. Um, but many of us have health problems and we are protected by our gardens. We are, and that's why we, we go with the herbal route and we go with the, you know, the, the mycological route. Hop in. Yeah, you know, I was imagining all of the lawns that are gonna go unmowed this spring. I mean, because here in Western Oregon, actually, I can hear right now, I can hear someone mowing. And I don't, actually, maybe everybody's home, so maybe they'll do a, a more thorough job mowing their lawn. I'm not sure. But I think that there's going to be a lot of spaces that are just mowed by pattern uh, that are not going to be mowed. And these dandelions and these clovers and these asters are going to come up and... I mean, it's it's amazing how much we work to control, suppress nature, and uh, to take ecological succession and keep it at this early successional stage by you know never letting things bloom and come up and never letting plants succeed and the next flowers come up in the lawn. So, you know, just like we're already in, in this very early stage, we're already seeing some effects. I mean, it could be a massive boon to pollinators if if some healthy proportion of lawns go untended because of this i mean it's amazing how quickly nature can 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 rebound i mean we should we should be like giving thanks and praise for that you know because we have when when has our civilization slowed down i mean we can think of historical times that we've heard of that it slowed down, but I mean, not in my lifetime. I guess there was no, no. There was there was uh, the uh, September 11th. There was like a few days after September 11th that everything slowed down. And but that's that's all I can remember. And Bush said, "Go out and shop." Remember? Oh yeah, go out and shop. Right, that's what we were told to do. Go out and shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, so what? Can I was there during that. You were in New York City. I. You know, and it's funny because everyone's about to experience lockdown and I lived it for a long time and it is psychologically taxing. The thing that they're afraid of is real. Um, And that's why I got into gardening, I think, because I, you know, I think the the main reason I was an alcoholic, too, is because of September 11th. I had like the, you know, the history in my family of alcoholism. my aunt who died of, of Crohn's at 52 was an AA instructor. Um, we were recovered. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's brutal um, not being able to feel like you have freedom. But when you grow something, you do. There's this, con- like when you, and, it's, and it's, it's not control. It's something else. It's partnership. It's co-creation. And so, and, and, and it's, a lot, it's letting go of control when you're creating, co-creating, because it's a dance. You don't know where it's going. You hope it's going somewhere nice. Um, but like when we grow, even a balcony garden, if I had had that during September 11th, during that time period where you couldn't get past 14th Street in Manhattan without your ID, you couldn't, you know, and, the, and you couldn't get away from the taste and the smell 
of it. Um, yeah, I mean, for many ways, that's 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 why I'm I am who I am um, because I went through that experience, and I really hope that people, you know, take this as an opportunity to look within and reflect because that's something I didn't do. I did the opposite. I became an alcoholic. I ran away from my feelings, ran away from my thoughts, and um, now I run the opposite direction. I mean, working harder and harder right now to go deeper in my meditations, open myself up more. And the days have been sweet. Times with my family have been sweet. Nice. Yeah, so you know, that's, let's start with uh, that person that's in the city right now that has a balcony that is currently, like San Francisco is currently on lockdown. I saw on the news today, New York City is deciding within 48 hours that they're going to go on lockdown. There's a lot of people in apartments. What can, what can they do right now? with what they have okay number one you're going to run lower on fresh food so think strategically buy in bulk sprouts get the seeding jar get the seeding tray grow some sprouts because you can get that that fresh crunch that fresh that fresh food immediately well almost immediately you gotta wait a few days but but basically it's like immediately and you can be growing you know, shoots, you can be doing uh, sunflower shoots, you could be doing microgreens, those are fast too. And this way, because I mean, the number one thing that people are worried about, and in, in the, uh, um, like the self help world and the coaching world, they're pointing out the fact that liquor, soda, sugary drinks, and like Netflix are selling like through the roof. And people need to remember that, like, this is a health crisis. We need to think health. So you need to be thinking about getting getting your fresh food in, getting your fresh greens in. Um, you can grow cherry tomatoes like crazy in a five-gallon pot. You can get a five-gallon bucket, like the Home Depot buckets. Make sure that it's the food-grade one, Okay. Um, like, uh, and, 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 and you could be growing in that in your apartment with a plate or a tray below it. And you could be having all your cherry tomatoes growing all over above you on the window, window and everything. Yeah. You know, and, and for people that of course, right now are on lockdown and they can't, uh, go out and get sprouts or even seed. The first thing you might ask yourself is, what seed do I actually have in my refrigerator right now that I don't even know that I have? So you mentioned cherry tomatoes. Like you may, you may not have any seed packets in seed store, but you, you may have uh, cherry tomatoes sitting in your refrigerator that actually have viable seed, right? Can you think of anything else that comes to mind that someone might just have seed that can't even leave their place right now? Or you can regrow. So you could have seed... Right, but then you could also regrow. So you could have all your, your green onions. You just cut, leave an inch on that bottom or even a centimeter on that bottom and then you put them in water and they regrow. Same thing with onions, same thing with leeks. Leeks do it really well. Um, and yeah, what else um, would have seeds that are viable? I know that there's a lot of Facebook meme videos that show incredible fake things. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, you can get the seeds out of a banana. And I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> and then they like show yeah. a banana growing from like a speck. And I'm like, uh-uh, that's not a banana seed. Yeah. Um, but 
I guess if you have no, if but you have yeah, no resources, if you haven't been thinking about this at all, you're a, you're a little farther behind. Could, but yeah. Well, no, no. The good news is everyone in lockdown can still receive vital services. So um, they're not shutting down mail. They're not shutting down grocery services. Um, and and people are getting most of their gro- groceries delivered. So. If you can get those things delivered, you can do that. If you have to go out, you can take precautions and have someone help you when you come home. Like that's that's the key. Have someone help you. Call your friends. Be like, I'll do it for you if you do it for me or something like that and take turns. But have someone help you decontaminate yourself as you come in so you don't get your whole apartment contaminated. Um, so get, maybe get seeds. Yeah. Is number one. Yeah. If you, and if you can, can still do you something. You can order them right now. Yeah. Yeah. Getting seeds is one thing. You know, what else? What are people going to plant those seeds in? How can they make soil, right? What can people do? Yeah. The wonderful thing about, about all of our food is it turns back into the organic matter from whence it came. So it's always on a cycle of decomposition and re- recomposition, and that is the growing of life. And so you could be breaking things down with fungi. You could be breaking things down, even your meat, your bones, with things like EM and Bokashi. You can be um, using earthworms to take your food scraps down and turn them into castings. Um, but you're going to want to do something that turns your food scraps quickly into soil, so that you're not just like waiting there for it to molder like that traditional compost heap that they have behind, you know, grandma's house. Um, you're going to want to really move that. And if you can buy worms, get worms. If you can, um, if you can, if you can go for a walk and go get some worms, you know, from some some place, do so. It's been rainy lately um, in our area. Definitely going to be worms out on um, the leaf litter. And. And, and, and then fungi, um, you, can, you, can, you can get fungi online like, um, like oyster mushrooms and, and, other, and other mushrooms that actually de- they digest your, your paper products and turn it into food for worms or just into soil if you let that decompose. So, and, and I have... I have I have all the resources on how to do all this for free in the Permaculture Student 2, which is a free download on my website, thepermaculturestudent.com. And that's peer-reviewed. Um, that, 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 that is all cited. And, uh, and it's PDF, so you can click the citations and quickly go to them if you want to further study. But how to do all this stuff is in there. You can turn you know, your paper into, into soil. You can turn your food scraps um, into soil. And you can even handle your, because I mean, someone on your block, someone, you know, in your building is going to have something, a yeasty drink, like an alcoholic beverage or a kombucha. And you're going to be able to get the yeasts that you need to make EM or, you know, you're going to find these components if you're looking for them. And if you get connected online with a community that is, that has people in your area that can help you. Yeah, I would say another important thing that that brings up is, I mean, there's a wider online thing. And right now, you know, mail delivery is still happening. And that's a really good point. Um, But there's also uh, the important act of assessing your very local resources. So 
what do the people around you have? And I've made it a really big point in the last few days to every time I see one of my neighbors to just sort of check in with them, say, oh, how's it going? Are you, you know, are you stocked up? And just kind of to bring up an opening question to see what they volunteer about, you know, how prepared they feel they are. Luckily, uh, in Oregon, we live in a place where it's been promoted. Earthquake preparedness has been promoted pretty heavily, especially in recent times. So the actually, the majority of people that I've checked in with um, have expressed to me that, well, you know, I got my earth, I got my earthquake stocks, right? So they all have some level. Most people here have some level of food preparation for that purpose. Um, but even if you're in an apartment building or you know in, in a neighborhood, uh, does somebody have a worm bin that has red wigglers that are really ideal for breaking down uh, kitchen scraps? You know, does somebody actually is somebody growing mushrooms? I mean, it, it depends where you live and what, what the people are around. But what are your resources? Are other people are there people that uh, are not composting kitchen scraps? They don't have a place for it, but they would actually give you their kitchen scraps to compost. So you could actually, you know, maybe you could centralize instead of having everybody, you know, maybe on your balcony in your apartment building, instead of everybody having a little small composting, maybe you set up a bigger one because you have some nice big plastic storage bins that could be repurposed for worm composting or some other methodology, right? So assessing your very localized resources, I think, would be uh, an important first step to take as well. Absolutely. And and also, I think that in the process of doing that, to do it well, to get past the fear, we have to slow down. Especially now, we have to slow down, reflect, breathe, get above all those waves. You know, each, each like an hour, there's another wave of, of fear from, you know, a live release or our phones go, doot, doot, doot. And and then they tell us that like there's a there's a an alert you know and we can't turn the alert off it just goes and eh, eh, you know there's always something but if you take the time slow down and say what what do i have suddenly you're probably going to feel a little bit more gra- grateful because you're like you know i do have some stuff i do have some stuff going on i do know some people and then you're like, you know what? I can reach out online and join them that Facebook group, or, and and then you could put you you could open yourself up, be like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm in Brooklyn, or I, I'm in Seattle, um, or I'm in San Diego, and I need this or I need that. Yeah, I think that the online outlet is more valuable than it's ever been because everyone's on right now. No one's really distracted by anything else. And you can say, hey, I'm in downtown New York City. I'm, I'm in Philadelphia or San Diego or Seattle. And you can actually find those people. You can reach that expert because they're at home right now. And everyone is, in, everyone is suddenly in a very similar position. And this actually reminds me a whole lot of how it felt during 9-11 because there is this this leveling off of our culture in a weird way where everyone turns to the homeless person with the radio because everyone's cell phone stopped working because we overran the network Mm -hmm. and we're all listening quietly and respectfully at the homeless man's radio. And there's this like respect for the homeless guy and the homeless guy recognizes it and stands up a little straighter. And there's this 
this breakdown of the way things have been and and I feel like we're in that right now where, uh, you know, I reached out to Dave Asprey like oh, he, and he, uh, like oh, two weeks ago and he answered immediately. Who's, like there's that? He, that's Bulletproof Coffee. That's um, the father of biohacking. Uh -huh. um, and he's also a permaculturist. Huh. And he's working on his own regenerative projects right now and lives on a permaculture farm. Hmm. So the word is really getting out there. I feel like the moment is here for permaculture because the evidence is so glaringly obvious. We've been pushing for it so long. We've got you know, 30, 40 year old food forests all over the place. We've got large scale examples of regeneration. We, we've shown now with the coronavirus with the first time, the largest ever reduction in emissions in the history of, 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 the, of it all. This is yeah. the first time we've done it. And the results are so dramatic yeah. that that it's pricking people's hearts, and that's where that's where permaculture is. Yeah. It's a care system. Yeah. Now you it's know the, the ethics uh, system. And so go ahead. I was going to say that the yeah? flip side of the uh, skies clearing is the um, oh the uh, aerosol masking effect, right? Which is the fact that the level of industrial pollutants in the in the atmosphere actually helps to keep the planet cooler so we could see a spike in temperature from the clearing of the skies in the short term um right but i but i would i would still stake my i would still you know stake my bet that the long-term effects of course um of decreasing global emissions and pollution are are definitely on the beneficial side. So, sorry, I interrupted you. I just want to tangent make that little point. Oh, yeah, I know, and I'm all about that. Um, the complexity of CO2 really must be um, addressed in order to overcome a lot of the um, people who, you know, want to oversimplify it in either direction. I mean, you need, we've got these monocultures of plants all over the Midwest and people are testing the air there at the ground level around all those plants with barely any humans and no fungi is using fungicides. And guess what? Hey, nothing's producing CO2. Yeah, because it's killed all the animals, killed all the fungi. Hmm. And so there's low CO2 levels at ground level around a monoculture of plants that's producing nothing but oxygen. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. Embracing that complexity is how we get through those breakers and out into the ocean of change. Um, and I think that's what we're doing right now. We're kind of overcoming each one of these things, each one of these doubts and fears. And we're being gifted in this moment of, of, of pandemic with a glimpse of what the world could be like if we took our foot off the pedal of the gas and just allowed nature to just do its thing. I mean, we're not out there even regenerating. We're not out there even helping at this point, right. which we know how to do. But it has this um, amazing, yeah. inspiring yeah. capacity yeah. to heal. So let's jump out. We talked about the cities. We talked about balconies and apartment buildings a little bit. But now let's jump out to, to the suburbs, right? Or, or you know, just to, to people that actually have a little bit of ground uh, around their residence that they can spend their time in. You know, what, what would be the first thing um, for those people to start to look at from the permaculture perspective? If, if you're really, if you're really uh, starting at zero, what do you think? 
I think the, the first thing to do is to be accountable for yourself. So try to live as small on the resources you have as possible. So look at your resource base that you currently have in your zone zero in your house and you, even yourself and the skill sets you have. And then looking outward. So we have all the water that comes into the site uh, onto the house and then try to get a rain barrel there. Try to, I mean, yes, that there's energy. Yes, there's water still running these places, but the, there, these earthquakes that are, are happening in the past week really highlights how we could have a double whammy and that could be um, just catastrophic for a lot of people, but permaculturists who are prepared would, would be fine. Yeah. And, and so I would worry about my water. I would create a compost heap um, for all organic matter. And then I would remove the sod, remove the grass and I would compost it. Maybe, you know, use it as part of a Hugo culture thing. Um, but I mean, people may be mowing their lawns. I'm optimistic. Maybe they're mowing their lawn to create a compost heap, get that thing hot. Um, and then they're taking off the sod and those little brick chunks. Um, and then they're going to bring that compost back and combine it with the soil there and, and plant that out ideally with things that are going to be a mixture of now and later kind of crops. And by now and later, I mean, things that you're going to get that you can eat all. So you plant that seed, it comes out, it's a sprout you can eat, and it's a microgreen you can eat, and then it's a small plant where you can eat the stalk, you can eat leaves, you can eat the flowers, and then it makes seed that you can eat. Those kind of plants are the kind of plants that as, as you live your life, they are there as this insurance policy and as, as just, you know, what, it's yeah, a confidence Yeah, why don't you be, some, be specific too. with some... Uh... Like, like if you wanted a quick garden right now, what would you be planting? So I'll tell you what I'm planting. Um, turnips, because they turn up. Um, radishes, they're eat-alls. Um, and, and then you could be doing a lot of things like, um, like amaranth is an eat-all if you're in a hot enough area. And I say hot enough because some places are still cool. Um, and you could be doing fava beans. You could be doing peas, pea shoots. You know, like pea flowers, fava bean flowers, all these things are great. Um, you could be doing kale. Hunger Gap kale is like, this is its moment, right? Right. It's like, <laughs> right. Um, and so all those things, the brassica family, the kinopodium families, um, those seed families are going to give you. What are the kinopodium families for our, well, maybe just people don't uh, know what brassica and kinopodium are. Yeah. So brassica, the, those are the broccoli, the cauliflower, cabbage, kale, ter radishes, turnips, um, mustards. And then uh, and, and, and you notice a lot of those are what your microgreens are made out of because they're the eat-alls. And then the quinopodium, um, that's the, the quinoa. They make great summer, summer greens because they don't uh, – they don't – um, burn and, and die, die back like the lettuces do. And um, the lamb's quarter that just comes uninvited into our gardens but is edible. They're both Kenopodium family. And there's actually tons of, of plants in the Kenopodia family that were cultivated by Native Americans. Um, and so those are the kind of seeds that are going to support you, like red Aztec spinach. Um, is hosantle 
And that's um, something I always grow because, I mean, it looks like a Dr. Seuss plant, first of all. It's got like ho the hottest pink you can imagine stripes up it. And then it's alternating those stripes with like lime green. Hmm. It's ridiculous. Hmm. Uh, and then it forms like a Christmas tree. Hmm. Um, and yeah, and it's, and, it's, and it's actually quinoa's cousin, except you can, you can take in smaller seeds and there's no saponin level. So, like, you know how it gets soapy and some people, it hurts their stomach. They can't have quinoa. Hosantli doesn't have that. Hmm. It was a staple crop of the Aztec. Hmm. So, so, yeah, I would highly recommend those things. And I'm doing them now. And if you're in a warmer climate, I would be hopping on things like cow peas because you can eat the greens on those. Sweet potatoes are also fun in those warm, warmer areas because uh, you can eat the greens on those. I also I just um, but, I just put a bunch of potatoes in the ground, uh, as well as a bunch of onions. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Just remember, don't eat the potato greens. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I just figure putting potatoes. I mean, Marisha Auerbach, who's my dear friend and colleague, you know, she always talks about St. Patrick's Day around you know up in up in Western Oregon here. St. Patrick's Day is the first good potato planting day. It's kind of easy to remember the Irish potatoes. Yeah, yeah. My my family came over um, uh, during uh, one of the potato famines. So yeah, interesting. All about it. So someone could get their garden going pretty quickly here. They could be taking their sod. I mean, my 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 site here. I've been here for ten years, and I started with a, a big lawn, and I basically went out with my Maddox, and I picked up. I you know I took my Maddox and I picked the sod. You know, just the the top two inches, this layer of this lawn grass. And I piled it, like you said, for compost. I created a little berm that I planted with it. And then um, I got some chicken manure and I forked it into those areas that I had uh, picked the sod off of. And I brought in some leaf mulch and I believe I planted just right in there this that that very year. Now I happen to be sitting on top of Willamette Silt Loam, which is the nicest soil type in the entire Willamette Valley here. So I had a, a really good starting medium, but, but you know, that, that's, that's what I did. And I grew a great garden that very first year, right from lawn. It was, you know, not some sort of prolonged gap in, uh, production, you know, infertility for this place. So I think a lot of people could probably, if, if you're sitting on a fairly nice soil, a lot of people could probably take that sod out and loosen their soil a little bit, uh, you know, bring in some type of amendment. You probably have something around you, whether it's leaf pile or whether it's some kind of manure. And then, of course, there is, this is not short term, but on the longer term, there's composting your own human manure, right? As, you know, right. China China uh, increased the fertility of their fields, farming the same fields for 4,000 years by using what they called night soil at the time. And then that's a little bit longer term because you don't really want to use humanure on directly on food crops unless it's quite aged and it's had a thermophilic, really hot composting process. But but urine, urine can actually be used for fertilizer in fairly short order. I recently visited a Kailash Eco Village up in Portland. They have a, they turned an old motel building into an eco village complex, and I think they had something like thirty five residents that they were collecting the urine from, 
They were aging the urine for a short period of time, and then they were taking it and applying it directly to the base of growing plants into thick mulch, and their gardens and their fertility were astounding. So actually, you are producing a fertilizer uh, on a daily basis. And that's, I was just saying that that's really the kind of thing that permaculture teaches us, that what we take in comes out and it feeds the next part of the cycle, just like everything on the earth is supposed to. <laughs> and we, and that's really what, what this whole breakdown is. As we look around and we see everything, we've created systems that do not have regenerative feedback loops. And because we've got these, 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 these over accumulation of nutrients, we call it eutrophication or pollution, and we just need to learn how to cycle things properly and make the right choices initially, so that's easy to cycle properly, um, and we won't be in this position. And we can start now, um, even in our house. Um, I know a lot of people are nervous about the whole humanor idea, but the reality is um, if, you, if you have the ability to make biochar, you could be combining things um, with your humanor and with um, your urine to tie up the smell really effectively and really quickly. And I think for a lot of people, if they have the ability to do that, they're much more willing to try it. So if you can make biochar, um, check that out and try that out because that's a really great solution. And it also makes it even better as an amendment That's great. when it's ready. That's great. So Matt, you are a lifelong homeschooler. I mean, lifelong by me- meaning the life of your kids, as far as I know. So what can parents do to make the most productive time uh, with their children during this time? Everybody's at home and uh, they've got to do something. So how, how can they actually make this a brilliant golden time for their family? There's two things that are happening that I've seen is that there are people who are really worried about their children have unstructured time that are very used to having other people manage that. And then there are the people that are like, oh, no, I'm just going to let them watch Disney Plus for the next month. And, and that I've, I've literally seen people saying these kinds of things. And for us, we are usually more unstructured because we unschool a lot. Um, though we have, you know, we have requirements that we have to do um, uh, that are homeschooling requirements for the states that we're in. But um, we try to keep it as much unstructured and one-on-one expert um, level kind of environmental immersion um, education where it's self-directed, which is how we always all, always were, were educated. Uh, so at this time, I would say that folks need to establish first a pattern, a rhythm to do with their family. And for most people, this is going to be new. Your rhythm and pattern is you getting ready for work and maybe doing something for the kids here and then you're done. And then you're off to work and you got to do something for someone else. But, but now you, you, you have your family there constantly. And I've been dealing with this as I've started my own business, as I was a, you know, a full-time uh, high school teacher as well. And so I, I've come to realize that if you don't have a predictable pattern, then expectations will flow in all directions. 
And when that happens, people get their feelings hurt. And then you have to um, wait while they explain why their feelings are hurt. And then someone else discovers that they've got hurt feelings too. And you end up just talking about things forever. And so unplanned time, and like I, I'm like, I, I don't like unplanned time, um, but I really like self-directed planned time. So I do things like with my kids and they're like, all right, so you're gonna plan out your day. What does your day look like? Um, and I do give them assignments. We do have structure. We have things we do together. And I think that's, that's the, really the way to start. When we're training children, really small children, and they don't listen to us, we do hand over hand, we call it. We take them by the hand, and it's not like, we don't jerk them or something crazy. But we, we, we take them by the hand, we're like, hey, we're going to go do this down there. Like, oh, okay. And, and instead of being like yelling and screaming at them to get their attention, just this grabbing their hand, get their attention in a different way. The same sort of thing. You kind of have to do things together and form this rhythm to create this trust that will allow you to be that teacher, authority, facilitator, advisor, whatever role you, you're going to take on. They're very different roles, keep in mind. Um, but, but, but you need the trust there. You need the buy-in there. This is why when you start a first year of school with a teacher, the first two weeks, you know, you don't have anything but like softball like or like uh, t-ball kind of like, you know, assignments where it's like really like easy to hit. You know what I mean? They're lobbing it to you. Um, they're trying to get you to just play with them. And then you're playing with them. And then, you know, they're going to like throw that softball a little hard at you. you know? mm -hmm. <laughs> but but you need to be playing the game first. So understand that with our families um, and you may not have children, you may be working this out with with someone else who is freaked out about their own things and and you're in disagreements and you're arguing start by creating a pattern that you can do together that's agreeable that you can do every day whether it's a walk whether it's going to water the gardens whether it's playing just cards like i mean we started playing 21 like i, I, I it was raining and i had like this like sense memory of, and this will crack you up, um, of being at a rainy day at the pool, at the snack bar at the pool as a 17-year-old kid and being like, well, it's cold and rainy, so we got a day of being paid to just sit around. No one's going to come to the snack bar, so we just sat around and played cards. And that feeling of like, nothing to do, just chill. I haven't felt in a long time, but it was like really good. I brought the card and the kids felt it and it was so nice. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's what this is for. That's what now is for because these memories and this tone setting that we have with our families and ourselves at this time is going to set the stage for everything that goes forward from now on. Mm -hmm. and, and whether you're going out in the garden, whether you've got a, you know, launch a new business online, whether, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter what steps you need to take, but coming from that space of like fully recharged, fully in alignment with who you are, with being that integrity person, right? In your family, that member that is all in, all present, all there. Right. So I, I would say start there. That's a very zone zero mm -hmm. answer in mm -hmm. they would say. Yeah. Um, but for me, 
It's like people care is actually the thing that allows us to provide the care for those other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it starts with self-care. It starts with caring for yeah. yourself. Nice. So, so, um, so it's a start. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then what are some, do you have any suggestions for just practical enriching activities that people can do with their kids? I mean, playing cards and, you know, and board games, we have all sorts of games and we do play a lot of games and we play chess and Chinese checkers and Monopoly deal and other regular card games. But, um, you know, that's what we do in the evening here. What about gardening type related? Like, what do, what do you do with your kids? You know, how, how have you taught them your craft, so to speak, your permaculture craft? So I'll say two things. I have learned in experience that in middle school, the reason the kids are so difficult is because the front part of their brain and the back part of their brain are, are tenuously connected. Um, and it's like they lose their memory. Um, so my son who's 13 vaguely remembers and then it's like, Oh yeah, right. like so much. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What do you mean? You don't remember this. You did this with me for years. And he'd be like, yeah. huh? My 12 year old is exactly the same that, way. Yeah. We got to forgive them. Their brain is in complete overhaul and expanding and think, you know, Paul's Robin from Peter, barring from Sally, like your body is going crazy, barring minerals and nutrients and fats. And, you know, that's why they get fat and then suddenly skinny and grow like a foot. And then uh, it's crazy. Yeah. So um, we got to like forgive them for not for not remembering always. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah. My son (laughs) used to know he used to know the name of every single plant in the yard. Like when he was little, when he didn't have any anything else that was you know outside exciting and we were just here he was the guy I, i'd just be like oh here rio give a, give a plant tour you know and now i'm like hey uh rio over by the over by the rhubarb he'd be like where i'd be like oh my god like how how, how could you not know where the rhubarb is but anyways I, i'm i'm right there with you yeah those memories are planted in our children just don't just i remember being 22 23 quitting drinking and a year into that process being 24 25 something in that range and then remembering what it was to be nine and it was literally like a oh whoa it's like a fog arrived like when puberty arrived and i and so you come back to it you remember things um but but it's real and so repetition and patience are like required for this process, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then from the earliest age, it's just immersion and invitation. Um, it's taste this. It's, oh my word, check this out. That's amazing. It's, it's enthusiasm. So you're leading with your enthusiasm and you're inviting. And that's always the place to start. And, and, and immersing them in it too, that world, letting them explore it. And I believe that's really the key. And that's, Definitely, I would I would guess I would bet that that's how you um, had it had it with your with your son and your children. That's the way I did it with mine, and they just got it, and it was so natural. But this is why we repeat the same math standards in fourth and fifth grade until ninth grade almost, mm-hmm. um, because we forget um, a lot of these things if we're not doing them every season, and if we're 
distracted by other things that are of other concerns. So I would say the most important thing um, is to involve them in a way that takes responsibility. Um, work that trust, have that patience, get the repetition in there. It's already built in because you've got the garden every year. But then have them have their own seed collections, have them have their own areas of the garden and, and, and then let them actually take care of it. Yeah. You know, my, my children have always been gone to Waldorf. My, my wife is a Waldorf teacher and we were just talking today how in, in the early childhood, which is, you know, pre-K and kindergarten, the main things that they do that the teachers do with the kids is to have them involved in the types of things that would be wholesome for them to be doing at home baking sweeping and you know meaningful domestic activities and then what the what the Waldorf teachers were suggesting my wife's been in all these meetings all the Waldorf teachers in America are like getting their heads together right now and trying to figure out how to do distance learning with a type of education that's so not distance learning. But one of the main thing that's coming out of it is involve your children in meaningful work. You know, are you preparing and creating your own garden? Involve your children. You know, are you planning things like involve them in the domestic affairs at home and they can see, first off, you know, they, they get a respect of their parents, they see what you're doing to try to support the household and the family, uh, and they and they learn things from that. <clears throat> and there's things like math, and there's things like reading comprehension, and there's all these different topics, school topics that can be integrated into the meaningful work that you're doing to support your family at home. And that that's really any age. I mean, it's it's little kids of just sweeping and baking, and I gave that example, but. For me, I, I'm like, you know, my, my son and we still have, well, it's, it's a conversation we're having in the neighborhood because all these, these kids, at this point, we're not under some sort of lockdown and there's still definitely kids hanging out with each other. And all the parents are talking about, you know, now all of our different families are connected through these children vectors and we're sort of going through the process right now of at what point some parents are already like okay and now my kid's not playing other parents are actually having some kids have no supervision at this point so it's a really tricky challenging thing going on 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 the neighborhood level with kids and I'm I'm assuming that that's going to be just tightening up as time goes on and the virus seems like it's actually uh, hitting our community. Now you said you're already in isolation because of your wife's health condition. And so that's, that's pretty cut and dry for you. And for a lot of people that have a, a vulnerable person in their household, it seems like it's pretty cut and dry. Um, we're just going through the process of all these rules and norms being established here in our community. It's all, it's all happening so fast. You know, it's taking us all by surprise, but I'm expecting that fairly soon, all the kids around here will just be home and we're going to have to snap into um, providing more of the guidance like that you've been uh, suggesting, Matt. So thank you for that. I appreciate your words of wisdom because uh, I know you've been doing this for a long time. Well, I'm really lucky because I took my master's degree in education when my kids were babies. 
and I was in a high school in the fifth most violent county in North America, and at the same time, I was still a sub. Um, for And I would go to the prison schools, I would go to special ed, I would do it all. So um, I, 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 I definitely, this is what I, I've always been drawn to. My mom actually created the special ed curriculum for New York State when she was a, a, a student teacher in the 70s. They didn't have anything then. And so, and then it was adopted into law and then adopted nationwide. Um, and so I, this is all very close to my heart. Um, and I, I, I homeschool because of what I learned in, in my master's program. And I was shocked that we don't teach kids and, and parents um, these things. So like this week, James is, is describing the lifestyle he wants to have as an adult for himself and his family. And he's running the numbers on that and then comparing it to the kind of career or, well, he knows what kind of career he wants, um, but he'd ha but I'm having him translate it into actual things he has to do or sell or services yeah. for a business he has to design. You want to hear something so, hilarious? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, um, my, my son, their, their curriculum, they were doing economics you know he's in sixth grade so they're doing they're going into business and economics and so they started a project like two weeks ago where they all would buy stocks and they would start to track the movement of those stocks every day and so i mean what yeah. a time to track stocks right in the middle of the did anyone um, buy costco because that happened really no they bought like uh he, he bought uh amazon tesla and nike those were the ones they had 20 stocks to choose from and the teacher sent out an email about you know a week and a half ago before schools closed like hey uh you know we're doing this project but everybody's stocks are going down does anybody have any suggestions of some positive stories and i was like uh why don't you check like Clorox, uh, Purell, and um, you know Zoom or something like things that that were uh, directly related to either uh, virus sanitation or online learning. But yeah, Costco is probably another one. Is Costco is Costco up? Yeah, my my son's young man's group uh, in um, in Washington before we left um, last year, they invested in Costco. Um, so I'm sure that's doing really, really well. Did they actually invest in Costco or it was just like a theoretical exercise? One of the, uh, one of the, um, uh, the young men's leaders was like, uh, like, a, I think he's, he's one of the top guys at, at uh, Costco. And so, um, they were like talking about how they should invest in, in like Costco and this one kid, cause they did the same exact experiment. And this one kid, I think put like hundreds of dollars into Costco stock. So he could be doing well now. Well, my son, he plays the piano at the farmer's market and he has um he has saved like over the last few years, he saved about 1300 bucks and he before this all happened, he was saying he wanted to invest his money and so um I took his money and I oh, now. and I put it into like a like a investment like a thing where you could invest and oh. he wanted he wanted to buy so he hasn't bought anything yet he wanted to buy um uh he wanted to buy Tesla because some people in our neighborhood are electric car people some of the adults and they were talking about how they they one of our dear friends he's like 
he was almost hired by Tesla and he's this electric car genius guy. And so he got my son turned on to the idea of buying Tesla. But it took me a while to take his money and put it into this account where you could buy stuff. And then Tesla went up, right? And he was really mad at me. He's like, he's like, Tesla was at 500 when I wanted to buy and now it's at 900 and it was like because you didn't go and put my money in the account because I was like hey there's no rush to all this right oh just, just chill out and oh now God. and now Tesla <laughs> last I looked it was like down below 400 I was like well now aren't you lucky that I didn't open that account and you would have gone and bought and actually have lost money so now it's interesting i guess it's an educational thing but it's sort of real so now it's like okay i'm talking to my son like so where is the bottom of the market so you can do your little investment and what are what are actual responsible companies that you can invest in that are on that are publicly traded that you know it's like you don't want to invest in you know chemical companies and uh you know weapons manufacturers and you know there's a lot of things that you can invest in that that could be doing good that are actually really bad for the planet so that's just a whole it opens up all these educational conversations um that also takes it into the real world when they're at the level when they're at the age where it's age appropriate where that level of sophistication where they can have honest where you can have honest conversations about that type of thing i guess that's another thing is not trying to push things that are not age appropriate on your kids um, as far as understanding the scope of this crisis that we're in. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting. Um, because every kid is different. And when you homeschool them, you really get to see that different kids require different levels of information, um, on different topics. Um, not only because they don't, just don't care sometimes, but because it can really stress them out. And so this may be a time where, um, you talk to your kids about, you know, the, the fact that we have a stock market and it's not based upon like the majority of the earnings on it. The majority of the gain on it is de- degenerative. And so the fact that it's in decline and the fact that the environment is recovering is 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 indicative of that. And so um it's a really fascinating time to be alive. Yeah. It's a fascinating time to be a parent because we really have the opportunity to, to tell our kids the way it really is yeah. and they can see it. Yeah. It, they, they don't have to take our word for it this yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So um, I actually, I have a question that came in uh on on the email, not specifically for this podcast, but someone sent this question to me, and so I figured I would put it out here on the podcast. And the question is, how can I spread joy and happiness? This is from Nico in San Luis Obispo. How can I spread joy and happiness through my community in a COVID-19 or post-COVID-19 world? I have plans for starting a community-supported agriculture, CSA, of sorts in San Luis Obispo, California, and use shared and private land for small-scale sites and centers. And I wonder about the way in which I'll go about it. Thanks. Do you have any any response to that? There's a couple different parts to this question. One is, is how can I spread joy and happiness, right, in the current world, in the post-virus world? And then the second part of it is, how can I go about using shared and private land for small scale sites and centers? So do you have uh, uh, any reaction to either of these parts of the question? Yeah. So the first part of the question, I would say everyone's online. 
So if you want to talk to everyone, you want to reach people, you want to actually spread anything, you're going to have to go online. And so I would say that to spread joy, to spread peace, um, enthusiasm, and, and to help people just find their center at this time, I would be making videos. I would be making podcasts. And that's, that's what I've been doing. I've been making videos every day and making podcasts to, and I'm talking to my friends and reaching out to people. I'm talking to my mom, um, reaching out to everyone in my family at this time to just, you know, spread that, that calm and that peace. Um, and, and, and doing the work, you know, so that we have that joy in, in, in the moment. And so, so I would say do that. I would say go where the people are and go where the people are stressing, right? It's like where the pain is is where we serve. Um, and that's where the healing begins. So I would say that. And then the next part, how would your business model change? Um, well, it would depend upon the restrictions put upon your area. But I would... I would create protocols around the garden site, especially if it's shared. Um, and I would create signage that reminds people to like maybe keep your gloves on, um, keep your mask on, um, because these the, these things can stay, uh, the, the, the virus can stay on substances of all sorts for extended periods of time. And if it's a public place, then it will... Um, be affected by that. So if you're going to do a community like you pick CSA or, or if you're going to do all the picking and all the delivering, um, you would, I would create a transparency level that allows people to see you grow it, harvest it and deliver it. And then they go, man, that looks safe. That's how I want my food to be delivered. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I would, I, would, I would focus on those baseline, right? Same thing with your family, right? You create a rhythm, a pattern. So that's what the protocol is. And you create consistency. And that's what the transparency really is too. It creates this trust. Yeah. And when you have the trust and the pattern in place, people can see themselves fit into that pattern and go, okay, that's me, I see it. And then they see your transparency and they go, mm, this integrity, this authenticity, this is me too, I trust. I got a couple answers as well. Um, in addition to what you shared, Matt, one thing, uh, yeah. one thing to bring joy to the community. I guess this is this is my strategy for my home because where I live, people are still you can still walk around even if we we're under super tight quarantine. There's a lot of space. It's it's a town. I live in the town of Corvallis, Oregon, but um, I would say that in my neighborhood, it's about it's like a suburban development pattern, meaning that that. Uh, I have a third of an acre, right, my home. And then, you know, I have a 300-acre park right down the road, the floodplain of the Willamette River. Uh, many of my neighbors have lots that are the size, you know, quarter acre. Some people have uh, actual acreage even in this in the town right here. So it's it's spread out enough that you could you can still go out on the street even under quarantine and be quite far away from other people. I mean, there's a lot of space. Uh, it's kind of, you know, you might say semi-rural. Um I plant food along the sidewalks. I have made that a really uh, distinct goal of my design site here that I've been in for 10 years, for, you know, like I said. Um, I've got massive 
super pumping grapes, thornless blackberries, cherry, fig, um, plums, um, all sorts of uh, flowers and other edibles, um, hazelnut trees, uh, raspberries, all of those are, I live on a corner, so all of those are all around where when people walk by, there's actually food um, hanging in your face. And, I mean, at this point, it's still early spring, but this is going to start coming on at a certain point with the figs. The figs will go first. And I have a school right down the block, so I always have kids walking by, and that was part of my purpose was, like, I felt like I, felt like I could actually spread peace by having food on the sidewalk. So people walk by and they're like, oh, like the kids, right? They're like, there's food. There's abundance in the world. There's food that's plentiful and you know, here it is available to me. So I think that in, in planting and designing, that's one thing. And then I had a business idea. Someone, I think that some, some uh, young, healthy person with permaculture skills, uh, I went and stopped by one of my friend's houses yesterday and talked to them at a safe distance and gave them this business idea because they're like suddenly you know people are having trouble with work how about you uh, come up with a model a 10 by 10 garden or a you know 4 by 10 raised garden beds I mean you come up with some kind of like this is my garden model uh, and you advertise probably on some of your local Facebook or email networks um, you advertise, I will come to your house. You don't even have to come out of your house. You can stay inside. You can watch me. All you have to do is you stake out. You tell me exactly where you want this. I will come. I will install a garden bed in your yard. I will turn this proportion of your yard over to garden. We have a set price. You know, I charge you this much money. I will come and I'll do it. I'll get starts. I'll bring soil and I will actually install an insta garden in your yard and you know you can work out what plants you're going to put in there and 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 you could start the seeds and i just think it's a really good business to adapt to an actual critical need um which is food and then then the interest of people um you know there's a lot of people out there and there's older people that don't necessarily have the gusto to just go and install a big garden but if you are young and ambitious and you have uh, access to the resources and you got the tools i think i think that's something where people could go and actually make some money and enrich their communities simultaneously love it yeah that was my little that was my little spark of, of inspiration about what's what young people could do that need some work right now yeah and that's simple and clear and people really appreciate that um, that works. Yeah. So Matt, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground and I really, really have appreciated um, all of your input here and um, you've, you've shared a lot of really fascinating inspirational things. And so thank you very much. Um, why don't you know, and I know in the beginning of the podcast, I went and I gave all of your uh, I talked about your courses, but why don't you go ahead and give a recap? Tell us, tell us how people can reach you, um, what you have to offer to people, how they can access your information uh, at this time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. And I feel like so many of us at the time are seeking this kind of connection, just talking with a friend about what's, the, what's crazy in the world today. <laughs> yeah. So I really appreciate that. Um, 
And if you want to learn about permaculture or regenerative entrepreneurship, permaculture gardening, or just, you know, ramping up your enthusiasm, please check out the permaculturestudent.com. I've got free books, free courses, and so many resources on there. Um, my, my work is in six different languages. Um, my, my, my curriculum and the Advanced Permaculture Student Online is accredited um, by British Columbia. We're working on Washington and California right now, accrediting it for a science credit right now. But it's all there, and it's actually tons of it's free. That book is free. So feel free to go and dive deep into this, start practicing it, and help yourself and everyone else at the same time. Great. All right. Well, Matt, it was really been a pleasure. This is actually the longest conversation we've ever had, so I've really appreciated um, spending some, <laughs> just spending some time just getting to know you a little better. So thank you so much for taking this time. And uh, hey, man, good luck out there. And I hope you guys stay healthy and uh, you know share some, share some pictures of your garden as it, as it blows up. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Have a great one. All right. Thank you. Take care. You too. Okay, bye. See you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Earth Repair Radio. I'm Andrew Millison, and you can find more episodes on earthrepairradio.com.